Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you have made, and we thank you that we can rejoice and be glad in it. And we thank you that we can rejoice in it because we have your word. Lord, we thank you that you have taught us again and again through your scriptures. We pray that you may teach us again this morning because we always have great need of learning more about you, learning more about the way you behave towards us, and learning more about ourselves. And Lord, we pray that we may be greatly instructed this morning so that we can serve you all the more faithfully as a result of looking into your word together. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for a number of weeks we've been looking at the subject of suffering as it's come up in 1 Peter chapter 4. We've been slowly working through uh, 1 Peter 4 together and particularly the last uh, few weeks we've been working through from verse 12 through to verse 19. And this morning I want us to consider where does suffering come from? Where does suffering come from? Well, it's always somebody's will that causes people to suffer. I know that in my own house, um, particularly when I want to uh, cause other people to suffer in listening to my music, it's because my will is involved there. And so I will I'll put on music that Jill likes at other time, at certain, uh, when we're all there in the one room, but when she goes off to bathe the children and I've got the living room to myself and the kitchen to myself, that's when I really crank up my music. Uh, but Jill still claims that she can hear it, she must have very good hearing, in the bathroom, and, uh, and she suffers accordingly. And why is she suffering when she has to listen to my newfound genre of dance music that I really like, dubstep? Uh, why does she have to suffer in listening to dubstep? It's because I will that she should suffer in that way, that I want the dubstep on and she has to just tolerate it. Although I think Joshua and Philippa aren't in so much suffering from dubstep, I think they quite enjoy dubstep and sometimes they've told mum to turn off her music and put daddy's music on instead. Where does suffering come from? It's someone's will. And today I want to look at the subject of suffering and how God's will is involved in suffering. God's will is involved in suffering because we have to remember that there's a will behind suffering and then we ask the question, when I suffer, is it because of God's will or is it somebody else's will that is causing me to suffer in this way? And this morning I wanted to make clear that it is God's will that sometimes we are caused to suffer. And that comes to us from verse 19. Verse 19 of 1 Peter chapter 4, if you've got a black church Bible, it's page 1203. And we'll be unpacking all of verse 19 this morning of 1 Peter chapter 4. And we see there it says that it is God's will that we suffer. It says in verse 19, So then those who suffer according to God's will... God wills suffering in people's life. And so that's my first main point this morning. If you want to see my main points, they're on the back of the church bulletin there. And so you can see my, I've got three main points this morning. And the first one is that when you suffer, remember it is God's will. Verse 19 here basically sums up most of the book of 1 Peter. It's summing up what the book's all about. And it's about the fact of suffering. And the fact that God wills suffering in our lives. And that's what Peter has been unpacking. What does it mean that God wills suffering in our lives? But what is the will of God? What does it mean that you will someone to experience something? Or is God's will always meaning the same thing when you read of the will of God in the Bible? Well, the will of God has two senses, basically, in the Bible. Firstly, there's his revealed will. And then there's his hidden or secret will. So you've got the revealed will, which everybody knows. 
And then you've got the hidden or secret will, which nobody knows. The, re- the revealed will is, of course, his commands. So when God's will is revealed to you and he says, you shall not murder, you shall not covet, you shall not lie, you shall not commit adultery, that is God's will. It's his revealed will. He reveals that to you. But then there's the hidden will, the secret will of God, by which he governs the world. And so when something happens in the world, and there's many things happening around the world, all things that happen around the world, God is in control of those things. God's hidden will is in effect. He is governing the people by his hidden will. And it is God's hidden will that is being mentioned in verse 19 here. It's God's hidden will, his will that we should suffer. He is governing the world and sometimes he ordains great blessing in in a a joyful and happy sense, different pleasures coming into your life. And then sometimes his will is not that you experience pleasure, but that you experience pain and suffering. Now this is hard for us to believe. Because you think God, he's going to be someone that always gives me pleasure. He's always going to be someone who gives me good things that I really like. He doesn't give suffering and pain. But verse 19 of 1 Peter here says, No, so then those who suffer according to God's will. When we suffer, it is God's will that we suffer. So then we ask, well, why on earth would God will that we suffer at times? Why would we experience pain in this world? Why would God deliberately give us pain? And that's what we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks. We've been looking at different reasons uh, from verse 12 onwards as to why God would will suffering in our lives. And so we saw in verse 13 that God wills sufferings in our lives because then we participate in the sufferings of Christ. Verse 13 says, But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. When we suffer, it means that we are joining in with Christ's suffering. And so we know that we are identified with him, that we are Christians. And then in verse 14 it says, If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you experience suffering of insults from others, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. When you suffer, it's actually a blessing from God. And it shows that the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So basically it means that you are indeed a Christian when you suffer. And in verse 16, it unpacks that a bit as well. It says, however, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. If you claim to be a Christian, you should expect suffering. And when that suffering happens, that's a stamp of approval that you are one of God's people, that you are indeed with Christ. And then in verse 17, we saw another reason why we should suffer in God's will, and that was because it means that we are judged and refined even in our sinful lives here and now. In verse 17 it says, For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Judgment happens now and God judges us with suffering. And so it is God's will that we suffer and he has many good reasons to make us suffer. It's so that we can see ourselves as Christians, so that we can experience great blessing. And some people honestly admit, as we heard about people in Cambodia just a bit earlier, that in times of suffering they've had the sweetest times with God. Whereas when they have great blessing and pleasures and uh, and no concerns about things in this world, they often drift away from God. Whereas the times of suffering have been the sweetest times with God. And so really there's no greater comfort than when you suffer to remember that it is God's pleasing and perfect will that you suffer, and he has good reasons for doing so. 
That's one of the first things I remind people of when they come to me in some sort of pain or suffering. First thing I start to move towards is the fact that God is still in control of this. He is sovereign. It's not as though he isn't there or that somehow he's lost control of your life. No, no, no. He knows what's going on in your life. In fact, he is willing the suffering in your life. And so when people come to me, I encourage them to consider that what is God doing in your life? How is he bringing suffering into your life to actually bring you blessing? And that should be what you do as you counsel people. We're all called to counsel one another. We're all called to give advice to one another, particularly as Christians. And when someone comes to you and starts to speak about the pain and suffering in their life, what do you do? Do you deny that somehow God has lost the plot? Do you affirm that somehow God has lost the plot? Or do you deny that fact and say, no, God is sovereign in all of this. He is willing in your life this suffering. And that should give us comfort then, that God has not lost control. He is there. And he is somehow bringing about blessing in our lives. And it can be for those reasons that are listed from verse 12 uh, through to verse 18. So what should you do when you suffer then? You've been reminded that suffering is part of God's will for your life. What should you do when you suffer? And we've seen lots of things as we've been working through these verses of what we should do. But what does he tell us now in verse 19? As he sums up this whole section on suffering in verse 19, what does Peter tell you you should do when you suffer? And that brings me to my second main point there on the back of the church bulletins. You can see them there. When you suffer, commit yourself to your faithful creator. When you suffer, commit yourself to your faithful creator. And we see that in verse 19. It says, So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator. If you know that you are suffering through God's will in your life, what are you to do? You are to entrust yourself to God. The Greek word here, uh, which they've translated commit yourself, commit themselves, is a word that is used, a Greek word that is used for when you make a deposit at a bank or when you entrust something to someone for safekeeping. So if you were going away and you wanted to um, have some house sitters, you would commit your house to those people. You would give them key, give them access, give them the burglar alarm if you have one. Uh, that's if you've got stuff that people would want to pinch, and that's when you have a burglar alarm, isn't it? Um, if you wanted someone to look after that, you would commit it to them. And that's what's happening here in Peter's verse 19 here. He's saying, when you suffer, what should you do? You should commit yourself into the hands of your faithful creator. Because when you're suffering, you're experiencing pain and persecution that you can't deal with. And so what are you going to do? You're going to get help. And whose help are you going to get? You're going to get God's help. Just as if you know, the reason you get house sitters into your house is because you want them to look after something because it's in danger. You fear danger coming to that house while you're away, particularly if you're away for many months. And so you entrust the house to them because of the possible dangers. And so when you experience danger in your life, own life, your suffering and pain that you're experiencing, what are you supposed to do? Well, Peter tells you, commit yourself into the hands of your creator. And the, the word there for, that they've translated themselves is actually your soul. Commit your soul, your whole self, into the hands of your creator. Why would you need to do that? Why is it so important to entrust yourself to God 
in that sense? Well, it's because remember that it's his hidden will that is causing you to suffer. And sometimes we understand what it means to suffer. We see the reasons that are listed there. We can say, oh, yes, I can see what God is doing here. He's showing me that I am a Christian. Or I can see how blessings coming about in my life. But sometimes we don't know how the suffering is working in our life. And we may never know. We may not know in this life and we may not know in the next life. We aren't going to find out everything in heaven. We're still going to have finite brains there and we can't understand everything. And so sometimes we've just simply got to... We don't know how God's using it. It's his hidden will after all. And we just entrust ourselves over to him, trusting that he knows what he is doing. But why would you trust him? Why would you trust God? He's an all-powerful God. But why is he causing suffering in your life? Why would you pick God as the one that you should entrust yourself to? Well, what does he say there? What does he describe God as in verse 19? He says, you should commit them, um, so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator, to their faithful creator. And so firstly, the reason why we should commit ourselves into God's hands is because he's a faithful God. He's a faithful God. How do we know God is a faithful God? Well, he's been faithful to his people all through history. We see that in the pages of the Bible. We see again and again that God looks after his people, that he makes promises to them, and then he fulfills them. He doesn't let his promises go undone. And so in Joshua 23, Joshua speaks to the people, and he says, You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. God is faithful. He's kept his promises to you. And then if you look at your own life, if you're a Christian, you can see God's faithfulness in your own life. In the past, he brought a Christian or some person into your life that explained the gospel to you. He showed you, he was faithfully showed you that his word is true and that his gospel is believable, that it's not some radical thing that is unbelievable. No, his gospel is true and he faithfully showed that to you. And then he faithfully showed you the sacrifice that you need for your sins and then forgave your sins. He faithfully showed you that Jesus Christ is all you need for the forgiveness of sins. He was faithful in doing that. And so we see that in 1 John the Apostle John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, what is God? He is faithful and forgives those sins because of the work of Jesus Christ. And then God has faithfully shown you that his ways are the best ways to live and looked after you. If you just look back from the time that you became a Christian to the years that have passed, you can see God's faithfulness again and again in looking after you, preserving you, showing you more and more about him, about his revealed will so that you can live, and showing you how his revealed will, his commandments and precepts, are actually really healthy for you and bring about good in your life. And so then it makes sense that you would trust God given his faithful track record in looking after you. You don't need Peter to tell you that God is faithful. You've seen it in your own life. And so when you suffer, you entrust yourself over to God who is faithful. He's not a faithless God. He's a faithful God. He looks out for you. Why else should you entrust yourself to him? Well, how else does Peter describe God there in verse 19? 
so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator. Creator. We're supposed to entrust ourselves to our creator. That's who God is. When we entrust ourselves to God, we're entrusting ourselves to a faithful person and we're also entrusting ourselves to the one who made us. And that's someone that's worthy of entrusting ourselves over to. God is the one who actually made you. So then you should be trusting him with yourself when you suffer pain. It's like when something of yours breaks down and you want it repaired. Who better to repair it than the manufacturer, the one who actually knows it and made it? Although sometimes they're a little unreliable to go to if, you, um, if your mobile phone breaks. Uh, maybe the manufacturer is the last person you'd want to be sending your phone off to. You want someone else. But generally speaking, they would have the knowledge. Hopefully they have the customer service to match that knowledge and help you repair what has gone wrong. The suffering that your phone has experienced, you need repaired. And so you commit your phone over to the creator of that phone. And so it is with you. God is the one who made you. No one else made you. Frankenstein is not someone who is real and was able to make someone. A lot of people, I read the book of Frankenstein just um, last year for the first time, and a lot of people get confused. They think Frankenstein is actually the monster. Frank, and the monster is the monster. Frankenstein is actually the person who made the monster. There's a guy called Frankenstein. Frankenstein is fiction. No one made you. God made you. And so if you're going to commit yourself to someone, who better than God? God is the one who has the repair manual on you. He constructed you. He knows when you break down, when you experience suffering, when you experience um, pain in your life, he knows how to fix that up. He's got the troubleshooting list on your life. When Joel Radford sins, I should do this, and then he will be better again. He'll be fixed. God knows that. And so when Joel Radford suffers, I should understand that God is using that suffering in my life because he is my creator and he knows how to fix up the problems in my life. And somehow getting out a hammer on my life is what sorts me out. Just like sometimes getting out a hammer sorts other things out in this world. You experience, uh, the thing that you're trying to repair experiences great pain as you're trying to repair it. And so when you suffer... Who better to give yourself to than your faithful creator, the one who made you? After all, who else would you give yourself to? When you experience suffering, what are you going to do? Are you going to give yourself over to somebody who is always unfaithful in so many ways? Even yourself, if you entrust yourself over to yourself, you're unfaithful to yourself. You make promises to yourself, you break those promises. You can't keep your own promises even to yourself. And other people around you. How many promises over your lifespan have people made to you and they're not kept? People break their promises. They're not faithful people. But God is faithful. He always keeps his promises. So why wouldn't you hand yourself over to him? You need to give yourself over to God when you suffer. And if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, I want to encourage you to hand yourself over to your faithful creator. You have a sin problem. And you need that sorted out. And there's no way to sort out that sin problem by your own life and works or by the works of those around you. Because your own works are unfaithful in so many ways. And the works of other people around you are unfaithful as well. They're all tainted by sin. 
You need to go to one who is sinless, who is always faithful, and that is Jesus Christ. You need to put your trust in Jesus. You need to confess your sins to your faithful creator, say, I've sinned against you, I need you to cleanse me from my sinfulness. And commit yourself over to him. Say, my life is not yours. It is yours now, O God. And that's what you need to do if you're a Christian as well. You want to follow these instructions here. Yes, I've convinced you that you suffer according to God's will. I've convinced you that you need to commit yourself to your faithful creator. How do you do that? By handing over your will and, and saying, God, your will is done in my life, not my will. Match my will up with your will. Iron my will out so that it's in line with yours. And I trust you with my life. I give my life over to you. I mean, that's what Jesus did, and we should follow his example as well. Go back 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, 2, verse 23. Just one page back over, 1201. Chapter 2, verse 23. What do we see Jesus do? When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus handed himself over in the midst of insults and persecution to who? To him who judges justly, to God himself. And we see that And on, when he's on the cross. What does Jesus cry out? He cries out many things on the cross. But in Luke 23, 46, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, my soul, my life. And then when he had said that, he breathed his last. He committed himself over to God. And when Stephen, in the book of Acts, is being stoned for preaching Christ to people, what does he say? He says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He hands himself over to God. And so you need to do that with your life. You need to say, my life is not mine. It's yours, O God, and I will live according to your ways. And so what actually ends up happening is, as you lose your life, you find it. If you want to keep your life, you end up losing your life. But if you lose your life for God, you will keep it. And that's what you need to do. You need to follow the example of Jesus and Stephen and say, into your hands I commit my spirit. So that's what you need to do when you suffer. Is there anything else that Peter tells you to do? Yes, at the end of that sentence he tells you to do something else. And he says, and continue to do good. And that's my third and last main point this morning. When you suffer, continue to do good. People, when they suffer, often tearfully say, I do the right thing, which is what um, Peter's been talking about. You're suffering for righteousness. I do the right thing, and what happens? I get hurt. And so there's a temptation whenever we do what is right and get hurt to stop doing what is right. I see this in my own life. I think, okay, the right thing to do is to spend time with my children and give them a nice time. So we say, let's go to the zoo, and we'll have a lovely time over at the zoo. And so I'm doing the right thing. We get to the zoo, someone falls over, scrapes their knee. Tears abound. Dad didn't bring a Band-Aid. Only a Band-Aid will solve the problem. There's ongoing tears having to be carried, and you suffer on your arm having to lug someone around that's much too big to be lugged around anymore. Then there's squabbles over food uh, between the children. There's fights about who gets to sit in the pram. There's fights about 
toys and books that you've brought along for the ride. There's fights about whether you, should, um, you can carry your own umbrella or put a raincoat on if it's raining. There's fights about hats on, hats off, putting sun cream on. And then there's fights on the way home just about someone saying, we're going to go this way, and the other person says, no, we're going to go that way. And then they fight. One says this way, they say, no, this way, no, this way, no, this way. And it's just suffering in your ears on the way home. And you've said, you've just had a lovely time. I've done the right thing. I've tried to help you. Why would I bother continuing to do good and giving you a wonderful experience when I do this and all that happens is suffering after suffering after suffering toward me for trying to do something nice for the kids? And it's the same when we serve God. We say, okay, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to do what God wants. And then I get hurt for it. And there's a strong temptation to stop doing God's will, God's revealed will in our lives because of the suffering that comes along. And ministers are often tempted in this way. A minister shares the gospel, sticks in a line with God's truth, doesn't back down. And what happens? He can have shrinking congregations. He can have attacks from people outside the church. And so what happens? There's a temptation to compromise on the truth. There's a uh, a temptation to stop talking about blood and, and substitutionary atonement, the cross, those kinds of things. Stop talking about hell and eternal destruction. Stop talking about sins like homosexuality. There's a temptation there because when I do it, I get hurt for it. But what does Peter say? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. When you suffer, you've got to tell that temptation to stop doing good, to get lost. You're going to keep on doing what is good. You need to resist that temptation and persist in doing what is right. Just like I have a bad time with the kids at the zoo... Does that mean I never go to the zoo again? I never do anything nice for the kids. I say, okay, that's it. From now on, we stay home and we never leave the house because whenever I do that, it just seems to be that I suffer. No, I'm called to be a good father and that means I work through my problems with the suffering and I continue trying to do good in the life of my children. I don't base my entire actions for the rest of my life from one bad experience when I try to do something right. No, I continue to do good. And you need to do the same as well. You need to persist in doing what is right because it's the right thing to do. You need to continue doing good even when you suffer for doing what is right. So when you suffer, do you remember that it's God's will for you? Or do you think that God is somehow powerless in that situation and not willing that you would suffer? When you suffer, do you commit yourself to God, knowing that he is your faithful creator? He is the one who's always been faithful to you, and he is the one who made you, so why wouldn't you commit yourself to him? And when you suffer, do you continue to do good, or do you yield to that temptation and back off from what is right? I hope that when we suffer, we remember that it's God's will, and we commit ourselves to our faithful creator, and continue to do good. Let us speak with our God now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the encouragement from your word that tells us that when we suffer, it is your will, even though we might 
really struggle to understand how your hidden will could work for suffering in our lives, particularly when we do right. Lord, we pray that we may remember that and that we may commit ourselves to you, our faithful creator. And Lord, we pray that we may not yield to the temptation to stop doing what is right because we've suffered. But Lord, we pray that we may know it is the right thing to do, to continue following your will. And so we may do so even if it means we get hurt. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.